G'day humans, we have a terrific episode for you this week. It's just not this episode. This episode is terrific, uh, but it's not the one that you're actually supposed to be listening to. Let me explain. This week's guest is Kat Rosenfield. She is fantastic. Uh, I'll tell you all about her in another context. We recorded the conversation several weeks ago, before more than half the population of Australia found itself in a seemingly interminable lockdown. And so I normally record the introductions to the episodes after, you know, and I make them a little bit topical. And so I thought, oh, you know, I'll address the top the lockdown in my introduction to the Cat Rosenfield episode. And well, 45 odd minutes later, I was still rambling about <laughs> Australia's lockdown and how we're going to get out of it and vaccines and international borders and quarantine hotels and freedom protests and whatnot. And I thought that's going to be a little bit weird to have a, have 45 minutes of me rambling on about the, the coronavirus situation in Australia. And then all of a sudden I'm talking to Kat Rosenfield about a whole bunch of completely unrelated issues. That conversation is well worth checking out. So what we're going to do is we'll release that as a separate uh, episode at the same time. Don't worry, you're not going to have to wait another week while you listen to me rant uh, about coronavirus. This is just the introduction to the Cat Rosenfield episode, which has nothing to do with Cat Rosenfield and everything to do with my frustrations, your frustrations, our future communally as Australian citizens in coronavirus. And even if you're not Australian, this should be interesting to you because it is about the fundamental issues, the questions of freedom versus lockdowns, vaccinations versus not. I just sort of felt that I had to say something and, you know, what I expected to be a three-minute conversation turned into a 40-plus minute conversation. So I hope this is in some way useful. Uh, please enjoy Cat Rosenfield on the other episode that will drop the same day. And in the meantime, here's me and COVID. How are you, Australia? Stuck inside, most likely, as a majority of Australians currently are. We were doing well, weren't we? We were the uh, envy of the world for a while there. At least uh, New South Wales thought it was. And I don't remember a time when there's been the level of white-hot acrimony and antagonism between Australian states and Australian political leaders as there is right now. I don't just mean I don't remember a time during this pandemic. I don't remember a time in my lifetime when there's been this kind of pent-up rage that I feel could just burst out if a dedicated New South Welsh person and a dedicated Victorian came to blows, if a dedicated lockdowner and a dedicated freedom fighter found each other mingling in a pub, which is currently not open, so they wouldn't mingle. Thank God they're at home. I just want to say a few words about all of this before we get started today, because I think we need a detente. We need a timeout. Take a deep breath. Look out the window if there is one. The sky is still there. The clouds are still there. The birds are still tweeting. The trees are still alive. We're going to be okay. What's basically happening, if you're not an Australian is that the Delta variant is upending all of the epidemiological assumptions that had underpinned the success of New South Wales in particular. Uh, Australia is governed, our response to the pandemic in terms of lockdowns is governed by state governments, not 
the federal government. And if you've seen images over the past 12 months of Australians enduring interminable, endless lockdowns with heavy-handed police arresting people for posting on Facebook that they wanted to go outside and, and host a rally against the lockdowns and protest, then you will have been seeing those images from Victoria, which is the state where Melbourne is, and whose government, centre-left government, has been extremely quick to pull the trigger on lockdowns, on statewide lockdowns, very intense, harsh statewide lockdowns. This is lockdown number five that Melbourne is currently in. It's only lockdown number two that Sydney's in because New South Wales' government, the state where Sydney is, the most populous state in Australia, has taken a much more pro-business, much more anti-lockdown approach. And Sydney has not been in a citywide lockdown for more than 13 months, not since the early days of the pandemic. And life has been fairly normal and Sydney siders have been full of enormous uh, sympathy for their Melbourne compatriots who've had to endure lockdown after lockdown after lockdown after lockdown after lockdown. And mixed in with that sympathy has been a certain sense of superiority from Sydney siders, myself included, I confess, uh, that the Victorian government was being ridiculously hyper-cautious and was paying no heed to the economic and cultural and social life of the state and of Melburnians uh, and was myopically fixated on maintaining zero community cases of coronavirus with essentially an undervaluing of mental health and community. And... Now the tables have turned and Victorians and Melburnians and other Australians are furious at New South Wales for having sort of sleepwalked us all into this situation, for not having gone into a harsher lockdown sooner and allowing the current epidemic to get somewhat out of control. When I say out of control, we're not talking about British or American or European numbers. We're not talking about a, a rampant uh, a rampant viral contagion that's endemic to the community yet we're talking about numbers in the low triple figures of which of whom a few dozen might be out in the community circulating but that's still enough to uh, completely detonate Australia's policy up until this point which has been to to have diamond standard gold standard contact tracers who are able to hunt down every person who came in contact with any infectious person and get them to stay inside while the rest of the community goes about its business. That is impossible when you've got many dozens of cases of Delta variant circulating in the community. So here we are in a standoff, in a stalemate with the virus. Uh, It's not exploding out of control, but we're essentially locked down. So who blinks first and what happens next is the big question. I don't blame Victorians for being angry, given that they had to endure so many lockdowns in order to be hyper-cautious while Sydney-siders were swanning about, and that that swanning about has now, that sort of heedlessness has led to the current predicament. But I would also say that hindsight is twenty twenty, and had New South Wales had a more cautious approach, then many more millions of people would have entered 
many more lockdowns over the past 12 months, including when there was a cluster in Avalon on Sydney's northern beaches in December, including when there was a cluster in Barella in Sydney in January. We would have been in and out and in and out of lockdowns the way that Melbourne has. And if you're very enthusiastically pro-lockdown and you're a big supporter of the Victorian Premier Dan Andrews, then you might say, well, yes, that's exactly what you should have been doing. This is a dangerous virus. You should have been erring on the side of caution all along. But to be fair to the New South Wales government, if you can avoid a lockdown, you should avoid a lockdown. If you can avoid economic devastation, you should avoid economic devastation. If you can avoid mental people going stir-crazy inside their houses all alone, you should. So you should want to thread that needle as subtly with as great care but also as, as, as great attention to the bigger picture as you possibly can. Now that we're in this situation, there's some question about what happens to Australia's vaccine stockpile because the, the vast elephant in the room here, the backdrop to all of this, is that the vaccine rollout was completely and utterly bungled by the federal government, which, as I've already mentioned in a previous introduction to, on, this, on, a, on an earlier episode of this podcast didn't even take place at the usual timeline of the other big Anglophone democracies. The US, UK, Canada, they all got their Pfizer orders in last July. Canada was August 5th, a little bit later. The Australian government had a meeting with Pfizer at which a a junior official did not make the greatest impression. There's some difference of opinion about in reporting about whether or not this junior official was proactively uh, ag- aggressive and arrogant in such a way that alienated Pfizer and turned them off from what could have been a pilot program to dump a lot of Pfizer on Australia the way that they did on Israel. Uh, whether or not that's the case, what we do know is that the Australian government didn't bother to place an order with Pfizer until October, November. At which point Pfizer laughed and said, you've got to be joking. You can have 10 million doses. So what we've got left for you. It's hard to understate the frustration, the fury that I and many Australians feel towards that lack of foresight. Towards the inability of the federal government a year ago to look into the future and see that vaccines were going to be the only way out of this. And as recently as earlier this year, the narrative from federal officials was that the vaccine rollout is not a race. That's verbatim from the Prime Minister. It's not a race. Let's do it methodically. There's no need to fast-track the approval of these vaccines. We're not in the same dire position that other countries are. There's no need for us to really ramp things up. Let's take things slowly. No need for us to hand over the vaccine responsibility, the the administration of vaccines to the states and to give them the money and the resources that they need to be able to set up multiple massive vaccination hubs. We don't need to treat this as a quasi-military-style operation. All we're going to do is use the existing uh, system of general practitioners and you'll be able to go to your GP and get a jab. Well... GPs have other things to do. It's not like GPs are sitting around all day with nothing else to do apart from administer vaccine doses. And where are they getting these doses from? 
And who exactly is eligible to get the, vote, the, the doses? Why is this not being coordinated in a systematic way? And why is there not someone banging on the table saying, we need more vaccines now? Why was that not happening in February, in March? Because there was no problem here yet? Do you have that little foresight that you don't see that in a global pandemic, things can change? Things might happen? Things might get away from you? A bloke who's unvaccinated might drive a shuttle bus with flight crew on it who are infected and he might catch the Delta variant and he might go home and seed it into the community, which is exactly what happened and which is why we are where we are right now. Why didn't he need to be vaccinated? Why was it so hard to imagine that as soon as vaccines became available, you might want to ring fence the border if there's no vaccine, in the, if there's no coronavirus in the country, endemic in the community, and the, all the coronavirus is outside of Australia, why would your first priority not be to acquire as many vaccines as you need to and to implement the rules that you need to to ensure that every single person who comes in contact with foreigners getting off planes is vaccinated? At the time I was on the air on the ABC and I was asking these questions. And the answer was, oh, well, there might be, uh, you know, there might be employment law issues with requiring people to get vaccinated, you know, it's not, not very uh, consistent with Australians' appreciation of freedom to uh, insist that they get vaccinated. Well, okay. Don't insist that the people who are currently driving the flight attendant shuttle buses around the airport get vaccinated. Just say that they will no longer be employed unless they are vaccinated. Only hire limousine and shuttle bus companies whose staff are all vaccinated. That's not against employment law. There are all kinds of jobs that you need to get vaccinated for. Not for coronavirus, for all sorts of other things. Nurses and doctors, they have to be vaccinated against all kinds of of diseases. Your child has to be vaccinated to go to preschool or school. Just make a tiny tweak to the law. It's not even the law, just to your requirements as to who gets hired for what position. This is a global pandemic. What are you even talking about? Earlier this year, I was interviewing experts who predicted that this would happen. And I thought it was a little bit far-fetched that it would get this out of control. Because I thought, well, you can always turn the dials and you know, go into lockdown and then the numbers will come down. New South Wales had proven that they had built up enough experience to know what they were doing with the Wuhan variant or the Alpha variant. Turns out not so much with Delta. And the experts were saying, we're not serious about getting enough vaccines. We're not serious anymore about checking into everywhere with QR codes, which means that life is going to be much more difficult for contact tracers. We're not, we're not serious anymore about social distancing and masks the way that we used to be. And we're coming into winter and coronavirus is incredibly seasonal. This is the other thing that people are forgetting about why we're in the pickle we're in, and it might give you a little bit of hope as the weather starts getting nicer. I know it's a fair way away yet, but there is at least a sort of meteorological end to this lockdown, which is that like the seasonal flu, which is 90% of seasonal flu occurs in winter, and only 10% in summer, Just think about the other coronaviruses and their seasonality, other coronaviruses being things like the common cold. When you think about the amount of sniffly noses in winter versus summer, 
when you just look at, in fact, at the at graphs of the coronavirus spikes in winter in the northern hemisphere and winter in the southern hemisphere, they're perfectly inverted. I mean, you can just see how seasonal it is. The only places that get coronavirus outbreaks in summer are places like the American South, where they almost are actively trying to to stoke a, uh, an epidemic. So these experts were saying winter's coming and we're not doing anything to protect ourselves against a possible leak from the hotel quarantine system. Not to mention the fact that we've now had a year and a half in which we could have been building proper quarantine facilities outside of the central urban areas of these cities. We're currently using hotels, ordinary hotels, which aren't set up as medical facilities, right in the middle of Sydney for infectious passengers to come in from overseas, returning Australians and permanent residents to come in from overseas and quarantine there. Now, doctors and epidemiologists say that's absolutely crazy. If you were going to keep an infectious person and you really wanted to be sure that they weren't going to get their infection released out into the community, you'd think you'd have things like reverse pressure rooms and doors. So, you know, this just means this is a simple thing. They have it in in all hospitals where when you're inside, there's no air that's leaking out from the inside of the room to the outside because it has a slightly lower pressure than the hallway does, which means that there's a constant slight draft coming from the hallway and through the door into the room rather than rather than the other way out. Uh, you'd create facilities in which there were self-contained outdoor spaces, like Howard Springs in the Northern Territory does, which is a government-run facility where some of the planes are being diverted to at the moment. Uh, I mean, you'd certainly be more epidemiologically sound in terms of having a different strategy for vaccinated, for returning vaccinated travellers versus unvaccinated travellers. All the epidemiologists say that you don't actually need to have vaccinated uh, arrivals coming into quarantine hotels for 14 days. They could be self-isolating at home for seven days with about the same risk as, uh, in fact, less risk, the epidemiologists say, than 14 days for an unvaccinated person in hotel quarantine. I mean, hotel quarantine is so bad in Australia that people are giving themselves coronavirus in hotel quarantine. People are catching it. People are coming in. They're testing negative. uh, They're getting tested only a couple of times throughout the course of their stay, whereas the experts say that they should be being given rapid antigen tests instead of the long turnaround tests that are currently being used. They should be giving rapid antigen tests almost every single day. Certainly when we start introducing home quarantine, that should happen because what's happening is people are getting into the home quarantine, into the hotel quarantine. Then at the end, they're testing negative. They're coming home. They're walking through the community. They're spreading what they don't realize is infectious coronavirus, which they caught in the hotel quarantine and seeding it into the community. That's what happened in South Australia. Thank God it wasn't Delta. They managed to lock down and get a, put a lid on it. If it had been Delta, we could have been in this pickle many months earlier. So now we're trying to figure out what do we do with all this Pfizer vaccine. The Prime Minister is crowing about the fact that we've got a million doses arriving each week until the end of August. A million doses, of course, is only half a million people because you need two doses per person. And the New South Wales Premier is saying, we desperately need it here. The whole national problem is centred around southwest Sydney. It's a migrant-heavy community. Many families are speaking English as a second language. It's one of the highest suburbs and local government areas in Australia for households of five people or more. So when one person gets infected, lots of people get infected. These are migrant 
families who come from communities where the idea of not seeing extended family is completely anathema. It's a very hard idea to get across. It's a major sacrifice for them. They're not tuning in to listen to the Premier Gladys Berejiklian every day at 11am as the rest of us fancy journalistic elites are. They're just trying to catch up with each other. The mo- Look, yesterday, I'm recording this on Sunday, yesterday the health minister, Brad Hazard, was essentially shaming a family out in Fairfield. It may have been the police minister. I'm getting people confused. I don't want to throw Brad under the, under the bus. He's been doing a, a, a titanic job for the past 18 months. Anyway, the point is that they were isolating, they were shining a spotlight, the public spotlight on this family who had gathered 18 people together in a household and they were saying, look, all of those 18 people are now infected, so don't be as crazy as they are. But the reality is those people were getting together to grieve a loved one who died. Now, I don't know what the, what the nationality of those people were, whether they were all Australian or whether they were migrant families, new Australians, but it, they clearly come from a place where the idea of not gathering together to mourn a loved one is almost heresy. Of course you have to come together. So what we need to do as a community is not finger wag at them, badger them, and attack each other for following rules in ways that we don't quite agree with, what we need to do for them is get them vaccinated immediately. I mean, there should be a massive vaccination drive in southwest Sydney. We don't quite have enough Pfizer to do it. So the New South Wales Premier is saying to the other states, can we please have your Pfizer now, and you can have more of ours once we get over this. And the other states are going bananas. How dare you ask for that? The other premiers are saying, not to mention the citizens. I mean, people on Twitter are going nuts at me for suggesting this. They're saying every state should get its fair share of Pfizer. Yes, every state should get its fair share. And the share that is fair is to give it first to the people who are most at risk, which is Southwest Sydney. It is not fair to give a share to people who live in some town in Western Australia where there is zero chance of getting coronavirus because the state has locked its borders. Absolute madness. And the West Australian Premier is sniping at New South Wales, saying, oh, they've got to lock down seriously. They've They've got to do a much harsher lockdown than the lockdown that they currently have, and we're not giving them any of our Pfizer. Oh, you mean the Pfizer that came through Sydney and that we sent to you? You're not going to send that back to us, the one we sent to you? Right. How are all your people doing in Western Australia who came through Sydney's quarantine system? More than half of returning Australians since the start of the pandemic have come through Sydney. They've been staying in our hotels and they've been putting us at risk of infection. So you're welcome, Western Australia. Now shut up and distribute the Pfizer to where it's needed which is here in Western Sydney. And now I'm doing exactly what I just said I don't want us all to do, which is be partisan and divisive and engage in acrimony. But it's very hard when there's so much politicking of something that I think should be decided based on health outcomes and epidemiology not on politics. I was very critical 
of the Victorian government last year when it was locking down as frequently as it was. I've always felt that it's extremely important for elites who are, who are less affected by this pandemic to understand the plight of working people, small business people, migrant communities, and the, the impact that a lockdown can have on them. If you can't just sit at home on your computer earning money as I can. It has real-world effects to be locked down. And I support a lockdown. I support a, a very harsh lockdown if we can see the other side of it, but I don't support argy-bargying politically about quasi-lockdowns indefinitely and trying to play political games. So I think it's time for the New South Wales Premier to give Dan Andrews a bit of credit. I'm grateful to her for having kept Sydney open during the many small outbreaks over the past 12 months. But it's time to say that what was the right policy for one situation may not be right in another. And Delta is another situation. It's come time that it feels like we need to either fully lock down or abandon this strategy and go home. Because what's the end game? People outside of New South Wales are looking at Sydney going, you guys aren't even fully locked down. And I hear a lot of people from Sydney saying, what are you talking about? We basically are locked down. It's basically the same rules as there are in New South Wales. But that basically is doing an awful lot of work. I've got to tell you, from personal experience, Sydney is not locked down the way you would think of a lockdown. Here's how the rules differ. In Victoria, under stage four at the moment, masks are required anywhere in public, including outdoors. In New South Wales, they're not. They're required indoors. And they're required at outdoor shopping strips and, and in, when you're standing in a queue outdoors, but not when you're walking around outdoors. In Victoria... The travel radius is you can't go more than five kilometres from your home. In New South Wales, it's 10 kilometres or anywhere within your local government area, unless you live in one of the three local government areas where the virus is most pronounced. Then you can't leave to go to work. In Victoria, you can exercise for up to one hour with one other person. In New South Wales, you can exercise unlimited with one other person. In Victoria, there's a curfew from 8pm to 5am. You've got to be in your house during that time. In New South Wales, there's no curfew. In Victoria and New South Wales, both food courts are closed, restaurants are closed, takeaway only. Non-essential retail is closed and uh, workplaces are limited to critical and essential workplaces. And in New South Wales, the one respect in which New South Wales' lockdown is harsher than Victoria's is that, is that construction has been suspended. There are a lot of people taking advantage of the exercise loophole and going outside, socialising. A lot of people taking advantage of the essential retail loophole. Essential is defined very broadly. In fact, it's not defined in New South Wales. Businesses are allowed to define it themselves, essentially. There is now a list of critical industries, only critical 
retail is permitted, but it includes things like office supplies. So, you know, office works is open. It includes home repairs. So Bunnings is open. So if you can still wander around a store shopping for gaffer tape and lumber, it's not a real lockdown. The streets are not deserted. People are not trapped inside. Now, the epidemiologist in me says, well, why should you need to do those things? Those things aren't where people are catching the virus. I was just reading a piece in the New York Post, which was commenting on the mask mandate, which has just returned to California. And the New York Post, the tabloid magazine, was exhorting New York not to follow California's lead. And it made this point. I'm reading verbatim from the New York Post here. By December 2020, New York's contact tracing operation showed that 70% of new COVID-19 cases originate from households and small gatherings. And in October, the New Jersey governor said it was small household gatherings, largely driving the uptick of cases in the Garden State. It wasn't by passing someone on the street, writes the New York Post. It wasn't shopping or exercising or going to school. It was generally close contact inside homes that continued to spread COVID. Bringing back masks in the low-risk situations will do exactly nothing to stop COVID from spreading in situations such as gatherings with family and friends. That's the New York Post. And it's clearly the same epidemiological advice that the New South Wales government is getting, which is motivating it even in this dire situation where we seem to be in a COVID-19 Delta stalemate with the virus, unable to nudge those numbers down, even in this situation, the government doesn't think that it's necessary to go full stage four style lockdown, like stay in your house, do not leave. And the reason is presumably because they realise that walking down the street or jogging along the beach or going for a surf or playing in a playground outdoors with your kids is not where people are getting coronavirus. People are getting coronavirus because the large family is gathering together with 18 people inside sharing a meal and breaking bread to mourn the passing of a loved one. However, I can't help but share a bit of the frustration that people in other states must be feeling towards this kind of cold calculation. Because the question for me is, would people be just as likely as they currently are to gather together in their homes with 18 people to mourn the passing of a loved one if they could see around them that all shopping malls were shuttered, that Bunnings was closed, that office works was closed, that no one was on the street, that everyone on the street was wearing a mask, that their offices were all closed, that they weren't allowed out of their front door after 8pm. Even if those things make no sense epidemiologically, they create a culture of taking shit seriously. And so I do wonder whether or not Sydney is, is focused a little bit too much on the hyper-rationality of its epidemiological experts and the instincts of the Premier to not lose face by having to go full Dan Andrews and essentially 
concede that she's always been wrong. Her reluctance to impose a full-scale lockdown while perhaps technically correct about the way that the virus is transmitted feeds into a sense in Sydney that the crisis is not as, is not as bad as it actually is. So I'd like her to be able to say, I got this one wrong. Pretty soon we'll be well vaccinated enough to tolerate some ongoing level of coronavirus that's endemic in the community. I would like to hear her and the Victorian Premier and particularly the Prime Minister say that in a world of ever-changing variants and imperfect vaccination, Australia is someday soon going to have to reopen our international border to the rest of the world and that even if everyone we let in is vaccinated, some virus will slip through and it may kill some Australians and that will be sad, but that will be worth it as the price for living as a proudly free people. But that moment is not yet because our vaccination rates aren't high enough. So we're going to go to full-scale lockdown for two weeks and we're going to knock this thing on its head. Everything will be closed. I would respect that. I'm an anti, I'm, I'm instinctively anti-lockdown. I am instinctively a kind of a culturally libertarian person. I want people to be free to express themselves, to explore, to do whatever they want. I am not a hyper-cautious person, but in a case like this, either suck it up or don't. Either go big or go home, because I don't know what we're doing. I don't know how long we're going to last in this quasi-lockdown until we're saved. Hey, look, maybe we can stay like this and get saved by a combination of the weather and higher vaccine rates. But that's going to be September, October. How much income will we have lost by then? How many businesses will have closed? How many people will have lost their life savings? How many people will have seen their life dreams, their small businesses shattered by then, unable to ever recover? I mean, it may be a price worth paying to just go full, 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 full lockdown. And maybe in exchange for committing to that, the Premier can extract from other Premiers all of the Pfizer that they've currently got. And maybe she can extract from the Prime Minister a promise to fast-track non-urban quarantine centres so that this doesn't happen again. If Sydney siders are going to put up with those kinds of restrictions to keep the whole of Australia COVID-free... Seeing as how we in Sydney and New South Wales contribute the plurality of taxpayer funds to the national budget, maybe we require that custom-built quarantine facilities be quickly constructed outside the Sydney urban area and that it only be staffed by people who are vaccinated and whose close contacts are vaccinated and whose close contacts of close contacts are vaccinated. And those people will all be at the front of the queue to get vaccinated today. If I was Premier, that's what would be happening. And if I was Premier... If you decline to get vaccinated, you don't work anywhere near the airport. If your nephew declines to get vaccinated, you don't work anywhere near the airport. If your nephew's roommate declines to get vaccinated, you don't work anywhere near the airport. And I'm including quarantine hotels in that, even if they're 100 kilometres away. You don't work anywhere near a quarantine hotel. You don't work with shuttle buses transporting people around. 
If you're not vaccinated, you shouldn't be employed in any job that comes in contact with anyone who comes in contact with anyone who comes in contact with anyone who's unvaccinated. And the same goes for staff at schools, hospitals, doctor's offices, nursing homes. If you don't believe in science, don't get the vaccine. But if you don't believe in science, then don't be part of the scientific solution to this pandemic. Just go and post on Instagram a meme that someone shared from someone on YouTube about how the mRNA vaccine alters the DNA of your cells. I mean, this is not a new battle, folks, between the men and women of science trying to drag the rest of humanity towards the light as the rest of humanity throws sand in the gears and wails and shrieks about their superstitions. This is as old as time. People have been spurning new medical advances and clinging to mystical misinformation forever. Do you know about bodily humours? Do you know about the ether? People who are declining to get vaccines are heirs to the people who, during the Enlightenment, viewed the Isaac Newtons and Charles Darwins of the world with suspicion. They are heirs to the people who have been dragged kicking and screaming into modernity by patient men and women of science who've had to coax them at every stage to trust reason over instinct. Whether that was swallowing penicillin or getting on an aeroplane. I don't want to make anyone get a vaccine. But I'm not going to let anyone who doesn't want to get a vaccine prevent me from recovering from this catastrophe and resuming my life. More than a billion people are now vaccinated against COVID-19. More than 160 million in the United States alone. There is no widespread side effect. The jury is in. If you look at states like Virginia, which is a pretty good state because it's a blend of North and South, it's a blend of kind of Trump country and sort of Washington DC intellectuals. It's about 50-50 vaccinated at the moment. Slightly more vaccinated than not. More than 98% of people in hospital there with COVID are unvaccinated. More than 99% of the people who are currently dying of COVID are unvaccinated. Even if you have suspicions about Big Pharma, if you have suspicions about the pace with which the vaccine was released, there is no world in which your suspicions about the harms of that vaccine outweigh the actual, real, known harms of COVID. No world. Over a billion people have been vaccinated. If there was even a millionth the downside of getting vaccinated, as there is of catching coronavirus, you would see hundreds of thousands of those billion people suffering some kind of effect and you don't we've run this test the vaccinated population is not experiencing any issues the uk is seeing a massive spike in cases for a number of complex epidemiological reasons mostly behavioral with no corresponding spike in deaths as has happened in every previous wave thanks to the vaccine so from now on, you can be part of the solution 
or you can stay inside. We've had enough of lockdowns. Unvaccinated people can lock down next time. But for now, for our last hurrah, for our last lockdown, I would like to see Sydney go big and see New South Wales move to a complete and total lockdown where you can't be outside for basically any reason. See if that gets us somewhere in two weeks, and then we can reevaluate things. Because I don't want to be in this state of quasi-lockdown for the next four months, or even three months or two months. And if we're not going to do that, then I think we should change the metrics and accept that we're not shooting for zero cases and just be upfront about doing what we need to do to keep hospitalizations low and to help the contact tracers do the best job that they can, but accept that COVID zero is not something that we're going to get to or try to get to anymore. And maybe we only take serious action if the number of cases out in the community tips into triple digits, for example, instead of the 30s or 40s, where it currently is. Maybe instead we look at metrics like the number of hospitalised COVID patients or something. But that's very risky. Because once it gets out of hand, once the genie's out of the bottle, there's no putting it back. This is what I think people don't appreciate when they're at the freedom marches. We saw these huge freedom marches in Sydney and Melbourne over the weekend. People saying, give us our freedom. Which, as I've said, I am sympathetic to and I completely understand and I hate it when wealthy elites who haven't been harmed by the pandemic, in fact, some of whom have done better out of the pandemic than they were before because they've gotten government subsidies and JobKeeper, small business disaster relief and so on, whilst still making basically the same amount of money as they were. These people look down their nose on the freedom fighters and say, oh, these people don't understand. And the elites have no empathy for the situation of a blue-collar person or a small business owner who's trying to make ends meet. So I get it. But what I get even more is that the so-called freedom fighters They're only thinking one chess move ahead. Chess move one is, okay, let's end the lockdown and let us be free. But we've seen what the subsequent chess moves are in the US and the UK and Europe and everywhere else in the world. The subsequent chess moves are, you end the lockdown, the virus starts spiralling out of control, it becomes so prevalent that nobody wants to go to a cafe or a movie cinema, even if they can, even if they're allowed to. Nobody wants to risk getting really, really sick for two weeks and possibly killing their grandparents. So they stay home anyway. And you end up with a de facto self-imposed lockdown, a sort of cultural shutdown. And then once the virus is rampant, there's no way to undo it. You've got to wait down, you've got to wait for either another lockdown, another actual hard lockdown to get some of those, some of that spread under control, or you have to wait for enough people to get vaccinated that you've reached some sort of herd immunity, or you have to wait until you've had COVID or everyone else in the world has had COVID and isn't going to give it to you. None of which is fast and none of which is desirable. So you're stuck in a pickle. And I don't know how the so-called freedom fighters don't see that. We can give you freedom now, and the freedom from the lockdown will last about two or three weeks before someone you know knows someone who gets 
COVID, spends two weeks in bed feeling absolutely awful, the worst they've ever felt in their entire life, and you go, mate, I'm not going out. You think I'm going to a restaurant? Not a chance. So go big or go home is my message, New South Wales. And it's not just New South Wales who needs to get a bit more fair income here. It's Victoria too. I would love to hear Dan Andrews say, this current outbreak vindicates my caution all along. But let's be fair. Sydney's strategy was successful every single time they had an outbreak until now. It was successful with every prior variant until Delta. So let's not make this about whose idea was right all along, whether it was Dan Andrews or Gladys Berejiklian's, whether it was Melbourne's or Sydney. Who has the right to wear the mantle of best COVID responder? Who gets the kindergarten smiley face sticker? It's not about that. It's about tap dancing through every day of this bloody pandemic and doing the best that we can. The best thing you can do is get vaccinated if you are all eligible. And I mean, I don't want, I don't want to hear any more about people talking about, well, you know, I, I, I went online and, and I didn't, couldn't find a, an appointment for another five weeks. Great, well, make the appointment for five weeks and explain to me why you didn't make that appointment two months ago if you were eligible. I'm seeing people who are over the age of 60 who still haven't had their second AstraZeneca shot. You've been eligible for, to get your AstraZeneca for, since February. Oh, well, my GP didn't offer it. Okay, well, go around your GP. As soon as I was eligible for Pfizer, I was doing everything. I was Googling. I was asking friends if they had a link to the vaccination hub. I was in there. I was like, I want to get this done. I just want all of us to get this done so that things can get back to normal as quickly as possible. And people were meandering around, sauntering around going, oh, no, this is back in April. Oh, no, Australia's good. We're COVID-free, mate. I'm like, yeah, but not forever. Listen to the experts. Some shit's going to go down. And even if it doesn't, you're going to want to be able to leave the country. My kids haven't seen their grandparents in two years because we can't get out. This is not normal. This is not desirable. The solution is vaccines. And the solution right now is a bit more honesty from our political leaders and a bit more upfront bluntness about the situation we find ourselves in. So let's get real with each other. Let's have conversations that are blunt, that are forward-looking, that are honest about the trade-offs of this shit soup we're standing in, knee-deep. Let's have some conversations that are pretty bloody uncomfortable.